Hi friends, I'm Tierney. I'm Katie. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead, Dead Drunk. Drunk. Happy Thanksgiving! Who's ready to eat all that stuffing? I I know. I'm a gravy girl. I, you see, I'm not a gravy girl. I... Sounds like personal problem. I'm a stuffing girl all the way. The more carbs, the better. I mean, no, gravy's good. Stuffing... I have to have it without sausage in it. It's like not my thing. What the fuck? Who th- who put uh, sausage in it? Both and all, I put stuff sausage in it. I sausage just don't. I'm really I d- I'm not a sausage fan. I feel like all of our families are different, and I don't like change. So both of you are wrong. Oh well, you know what? I am. <laughs> I am just gonna say that I'm thankful <laughs> for everyone listening right now. And Same. I hope that oh my you goodness. All have a fantastic Thanksgiving meal. Same. I'm thankful that Katie has this drink ready for you. Katie, what is it? Alcohol. Oh, and that's it. Okay. Thanks for coming to our <laughs> TED Talk. Thanks for coming to our no. talk. We're <laughs> going to do a little shooter. What you going to do is you're going to take a little shaker, right? And you're going to fill it up with one ounce of, I'm going to use some coconut rum. And then you're going to add some blue kinky liqueur. You're going to add some red berry. I, I used vodka because I like mixing alcohol and this is a lethal injection. So let's see how it uh, ends up. And for funds and giggles, I'm just going to... I said funds because I'm not allowed to curse anymore. We're going to add uh, a shot of tequila. Then we're going to add a very, very little bit of pineapple juice. We're going to shake that up, pop it in a shot glass, and bang. Let's see what happens. I like that you noted that you're not supposed to curse anymore, but you said... This is a little fucked up. It's called a lethal <laughs> injection. I'm, I have to pick. And then you and said funs and giggles. <laughs> <laughs> I really like funs and giggles, though. Thank you. I have to pick and um, choose my battles. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be a slow going process. We're going to wean you off the fucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now that that's out of the way. I'm not a sex addict. Prepare your shot. <clears throat> and let's dive on in. <laughs> Plug your nose <laughs> and make sure that your bathing suits are on tight because Shelby's just going to dive in. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I'm about to dive in. Whoa. No. <laughs> <laughs> shut up. I'm about to tell you a story. I'm sorry. Shut up, everybody. April Balasio, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. I didn't actually hear it said. Knew all along that her father was a little bit odd. He would fixate on local murder cases for far too long. Not like how we talk about crime, but I mean like obsessively talking about one single case every night at the dinner table. Me talking about Anand Syed every day of my life. (laughs) Yeah, but he's a father at the table with his five or six children. Oh, that's... I forgot the exact number. I think it's five. (laughs) That was good. Thanks. Self-control. Then, in 2009, April noticed that new detectives in Wisconsin had reopened the long, cold case of the Sweetheart Murders. On August 9th, 1980, a Saturday night, Timothy Hack and his girlfriend Kelly Drew, both 19, went to a wedding reception at the Concord House in Sullivan, Wisconsin. They were picture-perfect 80s farmer kids. He was working towards being a farmer, and she had just graduated from beauty school. 
very like Greece, except with farms. Beauty school dropout. No graduation. No, nope, that's enough. Stop it. I'm working on my box. You work on this. <laughs> Yikes. This Everybody has something to work on. <laughs> They didn't stay at the reception for very long, maybe a half hour or so. You know, like enough time to take advantage of the bar, like any of us would do. Then the couple had planned to meet up with some friends at a nearby carnival. Unfortunately, Hack and Drew never made it to the carnival. They never even made it home. Hack's old Cutlass Supreme was found in the Concord House parking lot, locked with his wallet still inside. And that's when their families reported the young lovers missing. Law enforcement launched a massive search, the largest in Wisconsin history, actually. And within a few days, they began to find a variety of disturbing clues along the side of the road. First, they discovered Drew's pants cut from ankle to groin, then some rope and an odd piece of yellow tubing. That's probably never good. No, I mean, cut pants are yeah, a really telling one. sign. Number one. Two months passed before some squirrel hunters finally found Drew's naked body in the woods. Hack's body was discovered some hundred feet away. Although both bodies were badly decomposed, forensic experts were able to determine that Drew had been sexually assaulted and then strangled. There also appeared to be ligature marks on her wrists and ankles, indicating that she had been bound. Hack, on the other hand, had been stabbed in the chest and back. Initially, the investigators looked at people that knew the couple like a random acquaintance or jealous ex-lover. Typical things that the police would look at. When those leads didn't pan out, they took a look at the staff of the Concord House, which was the last place the two were seen alive. Investigators noticed that the venue's handyman had a bloody nose at around the same time the couple went missing. He was interviewed, but insisted that he'd gotten the injury during a recent deer hunt. A bloody nose? Yeah, maybe the shotgun backfired or something. Or it had a little bit of kickback. Or the deer, like, Kangaroos. came back to life. And, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There was, there was a man recently that, like, was completely bludgeoned to death by a deer's antlers after he shot it because he thought it was dead, took a picture with it, and it attacked him. Well, not attacked. It just was like, don't touch me, and freaked out, killed him, and then it ran away. How do you find these stories <laughs> snapchat <laughs> is this on snapchat no i saw it on facebook so april remembered her father working as the handyman at the concord house Ooh. and recalled one night at around the same time of the murders that he came home with a bloody nose and cuts on his face he had told the family that he got into a fight with someone but when the police came to the house the story changed Ooh. <sighs> april also remembered that two days later her father woke up the family in the middle of the night and announced that they were moving right then and there. At yikes. the bottom. <laughs> super yikes. Yeah. At the bottom of the article that April was reading about the newly reopened cold case, there was a number asking for anyone with more information to call. Without hesitation, April picked up the phone and told the detectives that she was sure that the murderer was her father, Edward Wayne Edwards. That's insane. Imagine being like, I think my father like is a serial killer. And then having the balls to call the police and turn him in. Yeah. Edwards was a career criminal. He was a thief, forger, and law enforcement impersonator. Oof. His involvement with bank robberies actually landed him on the FBI's most wanted list in 1961. 
More significantly, Edwards was questioned in connection to another teenage sweetheart's murder 20 years earlier in 1960. Bro. Larry Payton and Beverly Allen, also both 19, were murdered while parked on a lover's lane during the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Payton was found in the car, stabbed repeatedly, just like Timothy Hack. Allen was discovered over a month later, and like Kelly Drew, she had been raped and strangled. Edwards was questioned, but never arrested. In 1972, after some brief time spent in jail for armed robberies and arson, yeah, career criminal, Edwards published an autobiography titled Metamorphosis of a Criminal. The book starts by describing Edwards' struggle growing up in orphanages after his mother died of suicide when he was just 10 years old. The story then details his adventures in crime, culminating in Edwards' rehabilitation. He even spoke at juvenile detention centers about his experiences as a reformed criminal. All the while, nobody knew that he was the furthest thing from reformed. As a child, April and her four siblings were told that her father's work as an informant for the police had put them all in danger, which is why the family moved so often. The reality was that whenever the authorities seemed to be getting close to catching him, Edwards would pick up with his family and leave town. If the family didn't believe there were dangerous criminals after them, they certainly did after their house was set on fire, not once, but twice. That's sus. The first time, the police were able to determine that the cause had been arson, but they found no more evidence to connect a suspect to the fire. The second time, however, they discovered that it had been arson and all the evidence pointed towards Edwards. April remembered him telling the police that he had started the fire because criminals that he had ratted out were closing in on the family, and he wanted them to think they were dead. That's the first time that April thought that her father was maybe not that great a guy. When detectives in Wisconsin got the call from April claiming that her father was the man behind the unsolved murders of Timothy Hack and Kelly Drew, they immediately set out to interview Edwards again. In June of 2007, investigators knocked on the door of Edwards's Louisville, Kentucky mobile home, but the man that answered the door wasn't exactly who they were expecting. At the age of 76, Edwards was obese, infirm, and dragging around an oxygen tank. Despite his health, He was happy to speak with the detectives. Edwards claimed to not remember Timothy or Kelly from that night at the Concord house. He said maybe he had been at the bar having a drink that night, but claimed to not remember much of the evening. The investigators then asked if he'd done any hunting during his time in Wisconsin, which, if you'll remember, he said was the reason his nose was broken. Edwards claimed that, no, he'd never been hunting while he lived in Wisconsin. But, like, didn't... Didn't he say, didn't, why would he, if that was his, why would, <laughs> maybe because he was, a, maybe because he was a lying serial killer. <laughs> when they asked for a DNA sample, the elderly man was hesitant to comply. That is until the detective showed him the warrant. Ooh. Yeah. I was very excited for that because normally the detectives will wait to get it. This guy had it in hand. Love him. So, so like he knew. Yeah. He knew that he was going to resist this. So, but once presented with the warrant, Edwards gave over his DNA, and when compared to the DNA found in a semen sample from Drew's pants, it was a perfect match. On July 30th, 2009, Edward Wayne Edwards is placed under arrest and extradited to Wisconsin to stand trial for the murders he committed 29 years earlier. Edwards was convicted and sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, which wasn't something that the 76-year-old wanted to suffer through. He wanted the death penalty. What? Nope. Sorry. Boy, yeah. He has like three years left. 
<laughs> Feels like three solid years. But he didn't know that for sure. Fair. He could have been signing up for 15 to 20 years behind bars, which was probably unrealistic for him. But still, going behind bars with an oxygen tank. Yeah. Unfortunately for him, Wisconsin did not give out the death penalty anymore. So Edwards took matters into his own hands, but not in the way that you're thinking. Edwards wrote a letter to the Norton Police Department in Ohio in which he wrote that once they heard what he had to say, they would, quote, want to put that needle in his arm. First, I'm going to tell you what April remembers. And that's that during the time her family was in Ohio, a young man named Billy Lavaco frequently came by the house to help her father with odd jobs. Then one day he stopped coming around. And not long after that, the family picked up and moved out of town once again in the middle of the night. So he did. Yeah. On August 8th, 1977, the bodies of Billy Lavaco, age 21, and his girlfriend, Judith Straub, age 18, were discovered in a park in Sterling, Ohio. They had both been shot point blank in the neck. Oh, my goodness. In his confession, Edwards stated that while Lavaco was working with him at his family home, he began to suspect him of inappropriately touching his underage daughter. Okay, April. I get it. I would kill him, too. There's no evidence that that ever happened. Does never April mind. remember that? April has never said that Billy's done anything inappropriate towards okay, her. Fair. She's been so vocal about everything else. You think that she would have included that. Yeah. Yeah. She said that Billy never did anything inappropriate so he, towards her. Wow. Okay. But at some point, he convinced himself that this was really happening. So Edwards explains that on that night, 32 years earlier, he had followed Lavaco out to a local bar, which is where he was meeting with his girlfriend, Judy Strop. When the couple left the bar, Edwards followed close behind. He trailed them all the way to the secluded lover's lane, where he surprised the couple with his shotgun in hand. Edwards claimed that he called Lavaco outside, but ordered Judy to stay in the vehicle. He then says that for some reason, she insisted on getting out of the car with Billy. With both of them now out of the car, Edwards led the two at gunpoint into the woods. At some point, according to Edwards, Billy turned around and said something along the lines of, Listen, Wayne, you don't have to do this. There's $500 in her purse in the car. Just take that. Edward said that his response was, Do you know what you just did, Billy? You told her who I am. Then he shot both Billy and Judith in the throat, killing them instantly. Oh, my God. Yeah. He said there was no begging with Judy. He just turned and immediately shot her. Now, Edwards was going on trial for four counts of murder in two separate states, but neither of them could give him what he wanted. In 1977, Ohio ruled the death penalty unconstitutional. And since the crime was committed later that year, after that ruling had been made, Edwards was sentenced to two more consecutive life sentences with parole eligibility after 20 years. Oof. So he's not going <laughs> to make 20 years. But well, now he has four yeah. life sentences and 20 years before he could maybe get parole. And still no death penalty. So where else did he kill people? Yeah, I feel like he's just going to start admitting to everywhere else now, huh? He has one more. Oh, God. In a 2010 jailhouse interview with the Associated Press, Edwards confessed to killing a 24-year-old man, also in Ohio, whom he considered a foster son. The young man even changed his name to Danny Boy Edwards. Edwards said that he and his wife, Kay Edwards, took Danny Boy into their home in Burton, Ohio in the mid-1990s. 
Abril believes that her father had a soft spot for the young man since Danny Boy had to struggle to survive without parents in a similar way to Edwards. Unfortunately, according to Edwards, the young man wore out his welcome by stealing credit cards and various other valuables from the family. April hasn't confirmed this, but this is what Edward said. So that's what sparked him to come up with a plan to get that money back and get rid of Danny. Edwards convinced Danny Boy to join the army and sign up for their life insurance plan, which would give Edwards something like $183,000. But mm. just before Danny Boy was to be deployed to Korea, he injured his ankle and was preparing for a medical discharge from the service. This would mean that the young man would forfeit his life insurance plan and leave the service. Somehow, before his discharge date, Edwards convinced Danny Boy to go AWOL and lured the young man out to a secluded cemetery near the family home. According to Edwards' confession, he asked Danny Boy to get him something out of his bag, and when the young man bent down, he shot him twice, once in the shoulder and once in the chest, with a 20-gauge shotgun. Then he buried the body in a shallow grave. He told Associated Press, I'm responsible for it. It didn't work on my conscience. I spent the money. I was having a good time. You do it, forget it was done, and go about your business until next time. All Edwards could do was wait. In order to recommend a death sentence in the state of Ohio, juries must find the offender guilty of a serious secondary offense such as rape, arson, or aggravated robbery in addition to the charge of murder. I really hope he doesn't get it. Well, no. <laughs> on March 11th, 2011, Edwards went before a three-judge panel in, I'm going to call it Cayuga County Common Pleas Court. Bless you. Thank you. That's kind of what it reads like. What it looks like is a sneeze. It's a court in Ohio and pleaded guilty to the aggravated murder of his foster son, Danny Boy, and subsequent robbery. Edwards declined the chance to present any evidence in his defense or ask for mercy from the judges. Yeah, because he wanted the death penalty. This is pissing me off. <laughs> well, the judges finally granted it to him and sentenced the 77-year-old to death. I'm Why? Mad. Don't I worry, guys. Edwards died of natural causes just a month later yeah. in April. <laughs> oh my God, Let's feedback. <laughs> we just got so hyped. Oh my God, Shelby, this is the best day ever. Just best kidding. day ever, Edward Edwards died. So he only died eight years ago, but the story isn't over. Okay. April believes that her father is responsible for many more unsolved murders throughout the United States. Yeah. Recently, April has teamed up with veteran journalist Josh Dean in an effort to tell her story and try to unravel the real truth behind her father, the serial killer. They actually have a podcast called The Clearing, in which they explore her family memories and try to figure out if Danny Boy was Edwards's last murder, as he claimed, or if he left a trail of unsolved murders across the country. Ooh. I don't know about you guys, but I plan on binge listening to that immediately. Like, yeah, I have to go suddenly. April's not the only one that thinks that her father's list of victims is much larger than the five he confessed to, though. Some true crime enthusiasts, including the late Michelle McNamara, who wrote I'll Be Gone in the Dark about the Golden State Killer. In McNamara's blog, True Crime Diary. Wait, she's dead? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Sad. Okay, continue. Yeah, it, it is sad because I loved her and Patton Oswalt. They were really sweet. Um, so in her blog, True Crime Diary, she outlines the possibility that Edwards was also the Zodiac Killer. This is mainly because the Zodiac Killer told a victim who then survived the attack that he was an escaped convict from Deer Lodge Prison in Montana 
and Edwards served time at Deer Lodge on several different occasions. Oh, wow. But Edwards' previous killings don't match the Zodiacs. Right, right, right. I mean, yes and no. Well, they were all couples, but the Zodiac killers, the Zodiac didn't have any sexual drive with the killings, and Edwards did. Yeah. In addition to McNamara, a former detective named John A. Cameron believes that Edwards is the most prolific serial killer in the world. It was just Israel Keys. It was probably Israel Keys, but we'll never be able to know unless we form a podcast detailing his trail across the world. Anyway. <laughs> Wait. Next week. <laughs> you guys can follow our new podcast? No. <laughs> Cameron honestly believes that Edward's list of victims includes the Black Dahlia, John Bonet Ramsey, Jimmy Hoffa, Chandra Levy, and Lacey Peterson. Uh, yeah. Cameron has actually been called a crackpot for these theories. <laughs> And a lot of his former friends and colleagues, remember he was a detective, have completely like abandoned him. They don't. Nobody believes because in him anymore. Because he's coming with these strange things. Oh yeah. Wait, what names did you say? Did you say Lacey Peterson? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that didn't her husband kill her? Scott Peterson's lawyers have actually contacted April to help implicate her father for the murder and overturn his sentence. Oh my god. What? Most importantly, these kind of crazy theories distract from the very real cold cases all over the country that april believes her father really did commit that's why april is committing her life to helping victims families find closure oh my goodness which in my opinion started when she made the phone call to the police yeah without her turning in her father those cases would have remained cold forever it was a difficult decision to make and one that of course comes with the guilt of turning in her own father but the real guilt for april came from how long it took her to make the call She told Refinery29, it was just a choice that I made and one I should have made years before. I mean, my dad killed Danny Boy in 1996. I suspected he was a murderer before 1996 and I didn't do anything about it. And I have to live with that guilt. But hopefully she can solve a few more cold cases and bring closure to more families. But if nothing else, April should be very proud of herself for bringing justice to the murder victims of her father. Oh, yeah. Edward Wayne edwards which i think is just one of the most amazing serial killer names i've ever heard (laughs) no yeah it's a it was a really rough story but mostly because i just feel so bad for for those yeah and like all of the families that everyone's overshadowing yeah it's it's really crazy there's absolutely no way that he's responsible for john benet ramsey i mean i'm pretty sure that like it was the brother or something but like i wish i knew i I wish anybody knew. Like, I just... It keeps me up at night sometimes. I hate that case. But Everyone does. But I also... Also, Iceman told us what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, if you choose not to believe it, go for it. But I, I I'm can... I'm believe Iceman. Right. I could put a pin in that case. That one's yeah. done. Iceman would literally put a pin in me and kill me if he had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to take that chance. The Black Dahlia. I don't even think... That when did that even happen? Shit. I know, but that happened like way before. I don't know. Most importantly, though, like April would know if her father had been in, a in those area, locations. Sketchy, yeah. Stuff like that. Like, and it obviously would have scarred her. She dealt with that her entire life. Well, more so, I think, when she was a kid. Like, if you're thinking back to whenever the Black Dahlia happened and you're like, were we in California at that time? No. So. Yeah, exactly. No. Yep. It's just, it's not plausible. It it didn't seem like he just took random people either. Like, 
yeah that whole couple but it was at his he venue didn't. he it didn't it didn't seem like he did yeah, yeah. there the first one ha- timothy hack and kelly drew were they were i think kind of convenience but i also think that he had a thing for brunettes so he <laughs> but it doesn't sound like he went looking for anybody no yeah. it was it was mostly opportunistic killing um and that couple i believe that he killed that he's responsible for the other one that happened on thanksgiving they're just so similar that like there's no possible way that right okie dokie artichokies shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) i love that phrase don't shut up i love i love things that rhyme follow us on instagram at dead drunk crime to see pictures of our cases to see recipes of our drinks to see us be stupid etc to see memes memes about murder we do post we do post some good memes sometimes sometimes we post stupid memes but like it's okay stupid memes are good memes all memes are good all memes are good all memes Mm. are good well it's like sex and pizza like even if it's bad it's still good you know tag us if you recreate any of our beverages because we would love to see what you make go to our website which is www i actually don't know if there's w's do people still do www dot I don't know. dot blog for sources and more info about our cases. Jenny, stop humping the bed. Thank you. Email us case suggestions to deaddrunkpot at gmail.com. If you have any ideas for us or if you are... Who did we ask to sponsor us this time? Investigation, Investigation Discovery. Investigation Discovery? You can, up. Yeah, email us to our... That's our business email. You can uh, sponsor us if you'd like. And we also have merch that'll be linked in our show notes down below. So buy stuff with our logo on it. It'll be really great for all of us. It'll be fun. Since it's Thanksgiving, I thought we could uh, do what my family does on Han- on Halloween. On Hanukkah. I thought you were going to say Hanukkah. <laughs> what my family does on Hanukkah. No, I'm not Jewish. Uh, we could do what <laughs> my family does on Thanksgiving and go around and say something that we're thankful for. Who would like to start? No. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll start. That's fine. I am thankful for my cats. I'm also thankful for my students, even though they drive me crazy. Um, I am thankful for our wonderful podcast listeners. All three of you. (laughs) And I'm thankful for the fact that I'm not completely alone. That's really, really depressing. No, it's not. You see, because she said she's not completely alone. Yeah, I'm, I'm only a little. To I'm this. only a little bit alone. I'm huh? gonna listen to this in my shed, completely alone on Thanksgiving, and I'm just gonna cry. Why are you gonna be in your shed on Thanksgiving? <laughs> Yo, they don't let me inside. <laughs> no, I'm okay. Kidding. Father Sam ties you up and. <laughs> don't do. That. Did he say oh that? My God, I don't know. Like that. <laughs> You're all gonna pay on the day of retribution. No, just kidding. Um, okay. I'm thankful for tequila, you guys, and being able to um, be alive for now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for now. <laughs> um, I'm thankful for the huge, you know, friends, family. Um, Jennifer. Je- Jennifer? Who the fuck is Jennifer, you <laughs> dumb... <laughs> Jenny, you know, Jenny. Oh, that's not her name. So I, I was so confused. I know, but I like to call her Jennifer. I am thankful for Jenny and all of the healthy puppies at the shelter. Uh, if you don't know me, 
I, Why I'm sorry, I'm Katie. <laughs> Are you Katie? Hi, I'm Ed Edwards. <laughs> oh God, never mind. I gotta go. <laughs> um, if you don't know me, you don't know that I volunteer at a shelter in Beacon. It's called ARF Animal Rescue Foundation. It's a super cute name. So obviously they had to start a shelter, but I got um, one of my kitties there. Yeah. And he's really the cute. best behaved kitten. He is. I love it. You guys are no kill, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're awesome. But we recently had uh, tw- 11 puppies born. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And they're super cute. Even the least healthy one is doing fine. Yay. So he's gaining weight slowly but surely. He's going to be great. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thankful that they're all healthy. And I am super thankful that people like april are out there working on these cold cases and trying to give these families closure back yeah i love that for us i love that too too. all right so and i'm thankful for you guys sorry thanks for listening yeah and you know who else i'm thankful for my mom bye mom (laughs) bye mom thanks for having me mom